you need the mic on. All right. The bathe and brew. There it is. You can take a shower and brew your coffee at the same time. And it's got a soap dispenser in it. I mean, this thing is great. It's got everything you need. You got to have one. I don't even like coffee, and I have one. So got to have that. I mean, I was standing back there. Tim Wilson, he was saying, man, I'd buy that. You know, he's... Tim, by the way, Astro, he's from Houston. He's Astros, right? He's saying Astros in six. It's 2-2. Two, two. We'll see. A lot of you say, who cares? That's baseball. How about those Buckeyes yesterday? You know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Tim noticed that he'd get anything on the Astros, but hey, whatever. Hey, we're glad you're here. We're in a series called The Struggle is Real. This is the second of our three services, and it's the most uh, crowded and so if you ever come in and you don't find, find like you're going to find a seat, just keep walking right down here to the front. We, we have seats on the front rows always. And, and I know people don't do that because they think it's in spitting range, but it's really not. It's safe. Come on down and be with us. And by the way, welcome Bloomville. They're joining us for this service. We're glad you're with us. And uh, we're having a great time. The struggle is real. We've been going through several things. And this is our last Sunday. Next Sunday, we're talking about the, some of the hard sayings of Jesus. But today we're finishing up the struggle is real with a talk about money. And I know some of you are thinking, if you knew that these were all set out and you were going to judge which ones you were coming to, this would probably be the last one that we would come to about money because we tend to think, hey money, got that. I, I don't really have an issue with that. I, I'm good. Everything's okay. If I'm going to skip one, this would be it. But Jesus talked about money a lot. So he seemed to think we needed to hear it. And so it's good for us to, to talk about that once in a while. Please know, I always feel funny talking about money because I feel like, oh, hey, the finances are getting low. Things are a little dicey at church. It's a little sketch. Hey, bring out the money sermon. It's not, it's not that way. Nobody laughed at that. No, it's not that way at all. Um, our, our church is doing great because so many of you are faithful in supporting our church. Um, it's all good. It's just, it's just one of the things Jesus talks about, and he, and he does it a lot, and so we need to also. So, it, as a matter of fact, in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about this issue. And I'd like to pick it up. It's in Matthew chapter 6, and I want to start with verse 19. And again, here's what Jesus says in his most famous sermon, his most famous sermon in history. Here's what it says. Here's what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The light is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear... I'm sorry... The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And as we contemplate this passage of Scripture, I want to 
just answer three quick questions. Who has money issues? What do we need to deal with that? And then, how do we store up treasures in heaven? So who has money issues? Well, really, I think we all do, or we all tend to. We all do because we live in the richest country in history. That's America right now. And I think that impacts us more than we think. You know how people, and sometimes you'll see protests and stuff, and, and they're, you know, the Occupy and all that movement, and they talk about the 1%, the richest 1%. And they're talking about our country. But as we look at that from a world perspective, most of those people would be in the 1%. I just read a statistic from this year, yesterday, that said if you earn 32,000 a year, 32 something, 32,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. You see, a whole bunch of us fit into that top, not just 5% that sometimes I talk about, the top 1% as far as the income we have compared to others in the world. And, and we don't feel that way. And, and again, when I say this, I'm not slamming capitalism. Free market capitalism is the system in the world that has brought more wealth to more people and raised the standard of living for more people around the globe, really everyone around the globe, than any other system in history. Not slamming capitalism. I'm just saying, sometimes we, we can kind of lose sight. It's, it's not wrong to earn or have money. Scripture says it's good to earn money, support your family. It's good to earn more than you need to support your family to help other people. God's, and God has wired us up to value things of value. I mean, to want things of value. I'm not downing any of that. But, but I think one dynamic that happens in our country is because America, and if you visit other countries, you realize America is less stratified than other countries. Meaning, in our country, because there's so much freedom, no matter what you earn, you'll rub shoulders with people that, that are all across the spectrum. And because of that, we are always rubbing shoulders with people who have more than we do. And because of that, a lot of times we look around and we think, wow, well, I, I should have that too, or maybe I should do this, or we tend to spend maybe more money on ourselves than we realize, or we, we catch ourselves buying things that we really don't need. Ever happened to you? I mean, we get caught up in that because our perspective is a little different, and uh, sometimes we don't even notice. So I want to share a story. This is Mike and Brooke. Uh, their story. Hi, I'm Mike. This is my wife, Brooke. We've been married since 2009. We've got three kids, Lauren, Bradley, and Gary. When Brooke and I got married, we struggled to figure out how to do finances as a married couple. We didn't have really nice cars, and we didn't have a huge house. Our credit card debt was very small, and we didn't have large student loans or but it always seemed like it was really hard to pay our bills on time. 
We thought it was normal to fight about money all the time. Each of us thought the other one was wrong. The struggle was real. I thought we just didn't get to enjoy spending some of our money. So when we try to reward ourselves for working hard, we always spent more than we should have. I felt restricted and I would impulse buy without talking to Mike about it first. From my view, I couldn't see why not to splurge. We made good money and we didn't have new cars or a big house and we didn't have student loans we had to pay for. Why did we struggle so much with this? Each time we tried to hammer out a better way of doing things, I would put more restrictions on Brooke. Then she would stress out about bringing me the bad news yet again because I was making demands that she couldn't meet. So I started working more to outrun our stupidity. The harder I worked, the more I felt like we fell behind. So the harder I would work. Pretty soon I was working every single weekend. I was miserable, Brooke was frustrated, I was gone more and more. When I look back on it now, I missed all three pregnancies, precious time with the kids when they were babies, and never really spending any quality time with Brooke. We knew something had to change, so we took Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University class offered by our church, and we learned how to do money God's way. The ideas seemed too simple to work, but we dedicated ourselves to the principles and refused to keep living the way we were. It was hard to change our ways. It took a good five months of arguing and failing to finally come up with a budget that worked for us. Now, nearly three and a half years after doing money God's way, we're debt-free, I'm working at a job that I love, and I get to spend more time with my kids. Doing finances God's way has taught me to be more content and grateful for the things that we do have. I no longer buy things on impulse, but we save for the things and goals that we have. We are 100% debt-free. I'm 28 and Mike's 32 and we have a paid-for house. That's huge for us. Mike was able to change jobs because of this and is doing something he loves. Now we're spending even more time together as a family and that's so important to us. Personally, this has taught me to be truly content in our circumstances. Sure, we don't have the nicest car, but it's paid for. You can hear me coming down the street a mile away, but the side benefit is that Mike knows when to come help unload the groceries without me calling him. We have struggled so much to get where we are right now, but it has showed me the importance of having Mike home. Proverbs 23, 4-5 says, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration from it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. Our hope is that our story and struggle with money will encourage you to put God first in your life and not make the pursuit of money and things your struggle. Isn't that a great, great story? It's weird how so many of us can get caught in this trap uh, where we either, we, we increase our spending really above the lifestyle that we should have according to our income, and then we either rack up debt or we work more and more and more uh, to try not to rack up debt, and then we, we kind of find ourselves doing things that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and we all struggle with this to some extent. So if the who is us, then the next question is, well, what do we need? What do we need to deal with this? And the answer to that is we need a clear perspective or a clearer perspective. And where we find that is sandwiched in the middle of Jesus' talk about money here. I don't know if you caught it, but that middle section, it seemed out of place, right? That talking about the eye and the darkness. Let's look at that again, starting in verse 22. So right in the middle of talking about our treasure, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And basically, this is Jesus saying, we need a clearer perspective. He's pointing out that when our eye is functioning properly and we're walking through a room or whatever, and the room is lit, we see everything, we know where to go, everything's good. But if our eyes are bad... Even if the room is full of light, it doesn't make any difference. It might might as well be full of darkness because we're going to run into things, bump into things. Why? Because we can't see the light. We're not seeing it. We're blinded to it. And what Jesus is telling us here is, hey, money can blind us. Money can keep us from seeing clearly. And there may be nothing in the world that can warp our thinking like money. And, And the reason is because we don't even notice. That's the thing. A proper view of possessions, it's, it's basic to the Christian life. And I think how Jesus is portraying this really comes down to a couple issues. One is money is sneaky that way. It causes us even to make decisions against our faith. We're blind to how it impacts us. None of us think that we're seeing money wrongly. None of us think we have a problem with money unless it's not having enough. And, and that impacts our entire lives. Um, we talked, back when we were talking about parenting, we were talking about how pointing our kids to Jesus is, is one of our most important jobs as parents. That, uh, that God has given us that responsibility. And a lot of times when I counsel with couples who maybe they're having you know, a struggle or something's going on with their teenager... One of my first questions I'll ask them is, well, is your, does your teen come to Sunday morning or, or Wednesday night or, or both, preferably? Because that's the best tool we have to help you in your parenting and to, point, to help you, your responsibility, but to help you point your kids to Jesus. And a lot of times when they say no, here's the thing. They say, well, no, because... My kids are in sports, and I've, I've learned over the years that in sports doesn't mean just a season now, right? It's almost all year around. One sport can be that way. And kids will specialize in sports. And, and when they see me kind of question, they're like, you know, then they'll be like, well, Kevin, you know, my kid's pretty good at this sport, he or she, uh, and, and we're hoping that he or she will be able to get a scholarship if they continue to do well. Okay, now think about that. So you're not doing the best thing for your kids spiritually by having them come to church because of money. That's what you're saying. Because this scholarship... And by the way, there's not 1% of the kids around here that are going to be good enough at sports to earn the type of scholarship that's really going to make a difference. I mean, I'll just throw that out. But we get blind to things. We don't even think... Kind of unrelated, but I was sharing with the parenting class that I had just, uh, a new study had just come out about a month ago. And uh, it was one of these studies that was looking into the secularization of young people when they go off to college. I mean, the theory, the way it's always been is there's this phenomenon that your kids grow up and that they have faith and they're Christians and then they go off to college and then they come back and they're questioning their faith and they don't know whether they believe anymore. And it was talking about that, the secularization of students at college. And what they found in this new study this year, again, just 
few weeks ago that it concluded was that the kids are already secularized when they get to college because parents back in high school have already started making those decisions that have disconnected them from their faith and disconnected them from their local church by doing all these activities, sports, music, uh, dance, you know, whatever it is that they've disconnected that way. So, you know, I'm just saying we need to see clearly and then also that, that money impacts that. Money has the power us to our lifestyle choices. We just don't see how it's impacting us. For example, it, money makes us change the way we view things. It can make us marry the wrong person. It could cause us to take the wrong job, do things we regret, value things we shouldn't value. Grace is a big place, and, and we always have people here, and no doubt there's many people that fall in this category in this room, people, uh, adults who are living together, not married. And then when I, you know, we'll talk to them, maybe, maybe it's because of membership class or something, we'll have this discussion, and a lot of times they're brand new Christians, and, and they don't even, you know, realize, oh, wow, I didn't, didn't know that was even, Bible even addressed that, but most of the time they kind of get that, and we'll say, well, you know, you're living together, what do you think God says about that? And they'll say, yeah, well, I, I know the, that if Jesus was standing here, he'd probably tell me that's not the best. But we're actually living together because of economic reasons. Really? So basically your answer is, I'm disobeying God in this area of my life because of money. Money. And, and it's interesting because... In the old uh, language, in the King James, there's this uh, word mammon, money or wealth. And it's like Jesus is personifying it with, with this, this word, this Aramaic word that he's using. And it's like, oh, well, why are you doing this? Well, Mr. Money told me that I had to do this. It's like money starts controlling our lives and we don't even realize it. How we spend or even view our money reveals who controls us. And not only is money sneaky, but money is also sticky. And it's sticky in that it, it's, it's hard to give away. Uh, Jesus talked about in other places, again, talked about a lot. Be on your guard against greed and watch out for greed. And, and what he's saying is it's not so easy for us to see this. And we have to keep kind of analyzing our lives. And by the way, the best check or the best test to know because none of us think we have a greed problem and that's what jesus is saying be on your guard watch out it'll happen to you without you realizing it and the best test to figure that out is simply how easy is it for you to give money away because that that fits in there like a glove yep we're sitting here this morning We've got a full church. It's a nice place. And the reason that we have all this is because there's a bunch of people in our church that we've decided that we actually give a percentage of our income, a tithe is 10%, a percentage of our income, 10% or more, back to God through the church, which allows us to build buildings and and. Uh, have places to sit, our, our seats, our, our gyms, just all the stuff we do. And, and I'm not saying that 
to guilt you. I'm just saying, if you're not involved in that, I'm just saying. And by the way, if you don't give anything, we're, we're glad that you're with us. Because people sacrifice to make a place for you to come. I just want you to be aware of that. If you're sitting here and, and you're not involved in supporting grace, well, somebody sacrificed for you. And we're glad that you're here. But, but that's what happened. So Jesus talks about money a lot. And it seems like it would be really frustrating. Because we don't think that we have a money issue. We think we're okay in this department. And why? Well, because money blinds us. It affects our, the way we see things. It changes our perspective. And so Jesus is challenging us here to see clearly. Seeing clearly will do a bunch of things for us. Number one, when we see clearly, we will not feel inferior to the rich people. The people who have even more than us, because we're all rich. But we won't feel inferior to rich. I remember when I was 24 years old, I was working dignitary protection in Washington, D.C. With, with a group of guys. And I was off duty. It was in the morning. And I was walking through, just happened to be walking through the lobby of a, a very, very expensive hotel, which I was not staying in. I was just walking through. And, uh, and in that hotel, it was the, the way you walk through this lobby, it was attached to a, this dining area. It's very, very exclusive. And the dignitary that our team worked for saw me and he waved me over to his table. So I came over thinking he needed something and, and actually just said, hey, have you eaten yet? And I said, no. And he said, well, sit down. They had an open chair at this table. So I sit down at this round table. There's like eight of us. And I only know one person, this guy. And the table was filled with a bunch of other people. And these people were obviously, I mean, I was outclassed. And these people obviously were very well resourced. And somebody, and they were all seemed to be happy to have me there. And somebody handed me a menu, and I, I opened the menu, and and I look at it, and I realize because I'm going to try to pick something kind of modest. I don't know why I'm thinking this way, but I open this up, and I realize there are no prices in this menu, no prices anywhere. And I'm realizing, oh, people that come here don't worry about what the price of breakfast is. And so I then I went on to order something what I thought was might be the lesser expensive of the options. And I look back at that, I think. How funny is that? These guys are gracious enough to invite me and didn't really know who was picking up the tab. I knew I wasn't picking up the tab. <laughs> and, uh, and they're just happy to have me there. And I'm sitting there going, well, I don't want to cost them too much money. As if that would be, a, apparently that would not be a problem. But that's the, that's the way I, I thought back then. Because, uh, By the way, not so much anymore. As a matter of fact, a few weeks ago, um, a new restaurant opened in town, Scarpetta's in downtown Fremont, and I was actually invited to the launch, kind of the trial run, for a free dinner. And actually, Tom did that, and he, in, and he said I can invite some friends, so Tim and, uh, Pam and I invited a couple other couples, including Tim, and we came in together, and we ate there, and it was delicious. And I got to tell you, that whole thing of ordering the cheaper thing on the menu because somebody else was picking up, that, that didn't apply at all. I mean, I just, I, it was an Italian place, and I ordered a huge porterhouse steak. It was delicious. I mean, I just chomped down, never a thought. So, hey, things change. But, but the point is, not only if, we have a, if we're clearly seeing, if we have a, a clear, if we have a clear perspective on money, will we not feel inferior to the rich? We will also not feel superior to the poor. When we walk by that person who's homeless, we will see an equal 
We will not look down on them if we have the clear perspective on money. And also, having a clear perspective on money, it will help us see the wisdom in, in budgeting or capping our lifestyle until our income catches up and exceeds where we're at, just kind of stopping. Where every time we get a raise, we start going to get more stuff. Even though we're a little behind, we just fall more behind. Stop doing that. that that's what Mike and Brooke were talking about. I mean, they had done things pretty well and really weren't experiencing much debt. But there was a struggle because their debt was low to keep it that way, working more and more. And all of a sudden, they're making decisions that are not best for the family because their lifestyle is kind of creeping up without them really thinking about it much or realizing it. Seeing clearly also helps us be increasingly joyful in our generosity. You know, that, that we like to give. We have a right perspective of money. We're joyful in generosity. But the statistics are in for, for the, whole, the whole country that, that they keep telling us this, this does not change. This stat that says the more we make, the greater our income, the smaller percentage of our income we give away. By the way, that makes no sense, right? The more we have, the smaller percentage of what we have we give away. Well, that makes no logical sense. So why would we do that? Because we're not seeing clearly about money. Because money kind of blinds us in that area. And we just have to know that. Hey, you want to be joyful in your giving? Grab a, an Operation Christmas Child box. How many of you have done this? You grab a box. You get to go shopping. You don't, and you just have the easy part. Franklin Graham's going to make sure that there's some Jesus stuff in there that's for the right age and the right language for this child in a third world country that they're going to get. So you don't have to even worry about the hard stuff. Franklin's got you covered. All you have to do is go get a bunch of stuff that your age group or your gender of child you think would enjoy. Man, if you want to brighten a third world child's day, fill up a box, just a, just a little shoe box. I, I was just talking, it's just such an amazing thing to impact people. I was just talking to, to Holly in between services, and she said, no candy, no toothpaste, which used to be things that you'd throw in there, but not to do that because they have, they're, they're considered perishable or may have an expiration date, and even though a lot of that doesn't. Because some people, some countries don't want those kids to get that shoe box. And they use that as an excuse to withhold them from coming in. So no candy, no toothpaste. Know that Samaritan's Purse Ministries will, will put in the literature that needs to be there telling kids about love of Jesus. And we just get to do the fun part. Be joyful in that. So the question is, um, the last question is, well, how do we... How do we overcome those issues? If the who is us and the, and the what we need is to see clearly, then the last question is, well, Jesus is talking about storing up treasures in heaven. How exactly do we do that? Because he wants us to know. And I think it starts really by recognizing, seeing clearly, we recognize our susceptibility to storing up temporary stuff. I mean, a lot of the stuff around us, it's all temporary, right? 
Pam and I, the newest vehicle we ever bought was a less than one-year-old 2001 Dodge minivan. I love that car. It's weird because I'm a guy and I love this minivan. You know, it's a minivan. It could haul some, anyway, a minivan. And it had Captain Sheer. We took that thing all over. We actually, we bought it with 17,000. We had over 317,000 when it ended. But finally, it ended, right? You know how it always happens with cars. You just wear them out. And so uh, the computer went out on it. And it, all of a sudden, it was kind of a pricey fix, and um, it wasn't going to happen, you know, so it wasn't worth it. And so I decided, well, I'm going to take it over to Progressive Metal, where they also have a salvage yard, and I'm going to sell the car. So I, I pulled it over. Uh, Zach and I did that, and I pulled it up onto the, where you weigh it, because you're, you know, selling it. And then, after that, I'm going to roll it off, because it doesn't run, and park it. And so I roll it off and park it, and I'm, I'm sitting there as I'm, it's getting weighed, and I roll it off. And I'm thinking, wow, this has been a great vehicle. And I'm thinking about all the trips we took. And I'm looking at the body. body's still, ah, it's got some rust around the edges. And wow, the interior's still pretty, ah, it's got some stains and stuff. You know, but it's still nice. And I'm sitting in my car and I make sure all the windows are rolled up. You know, I don't want any water to get in because I'm thinking, man, this is going to supply parts for vans all over the country, you know. And I leave my ignition keys carefully in the ignition. And I get out and make sure it's unlocked. And I shut the door. It's like, oh, great. I don't take six steps and I hear this noise, and I turn around, and this huge forklift has just jammed its forks through the side windows of my van and picked it up and then carried it to the crusher. And I'm just like, whoa, can't even let a guy get off the property. I'm just heading to the office. I'm six feet away. You know, things around us, they're just temporary. The things that are permanent are the people, the relationships that we have. You heard just a few days ago, I don't know if you've been following the news, but a, a family from Fostoria or Fostoria Bascom area um, had a house fire and nobody made it out. Five people died in that fire. And, and you think about that and it it puts things into perspective. You know, all the stuff that burned, who cares? The people, you know, that, that's what matters. And it's so easy to get, we start living, I mean, tragedies like that bring things into focus for us, but usually just for a fleeting time. It's the people, not the stuff around us that make a difference. Everything we, we buy in this world, it's temporary. It ends up in a scrap pile sooner or later. We store up treasure in heaven by not only realizing our, our susceptibility to storing temporary stuff, but we store up treasure in heaven by seeing clearly like we talked about that it's just temporary uh, seeing clearly that where we put our money shows us where our heart is wow isn't that a sobering statement that Jesus includes here I don't know if, if you caught it there in verse 21 but he says 
here, Jesus, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money, or what we spend it on, or where we put it, it shows what's most important to us. Because inevitably, our heart is drawn to what we value most. That, that's what Jesus is saying. Sobering statement. We see clearly by investing in lasting treasure. That's how, that's how we lay up permanent treasure. And money is, is a tool to do that. You know, one time Jesus told the story. We're going to actually do hard sayings of Jesus starting next week. Sometimes Jesus says some stuff and you're like, what? We're going to look at those things. Well, this, I don't think we're covering this one, but one of those is Jesus tells a story of the dishonest manager. I don't know if you remember this, but this guy works for his master and he's, he's the accountant guy. And he's mismanaged money and he owes the master a bunch of money he can't pay. He's going to get fired and he knows he's going to get fired. And so then he calls in all the people that owe his master's money and he starts manipulating their debt. He basically uses money as a tool to impact these people so they'll be his friends when he is let go. And, and the, the weird, so that's, that's an interesting story. But the, where it really gets interesting is then the master comes home. He figures all this out and he commends the guy. Because he acted shrewdly. Because he used money to impact people. He used money to, to draw people. We can use money as a tool to impact people for the kingdom is, is the point. Money can be leveraged for God's kingdom. Money can be used to help point people to Jesus. And when you invest in like, when you invest like that, Jesus is teaching us here and in other places that you reap eternal rewards, not just temporary rewards. So how do we overcome our money issues and store up? Treasure in heaven? Well, mainly, it's by serving one master. That's how Jesus closed his comments on this. You know, as a church, we do a bunch of things to try to impact people because people are valuable to God and us. And so we invite people to church because we want them to have what we have. We do upward basketball. There's a big thing all day yesterday, a bunch of volunteers Spending most of the day here, maybe all the day, yesterday. Why do we do that? To impact for our community as a way to try to introduce them to Jesus. You know, we, we do all these things, these ministries, children's ministry, our, our teen ministry, Fuse. You know, we talk to people about God. We, we fill up shoe boxes and, and send them to other places around the world. We, we support orphans in other places. Why are we doing all this? Really, we do all this just to impact people for God. We talk to people about God. You know, we actually have a conversation with people about God. And it gets real freaky. You know, ever wonder, why do we do that? Okay, here's God, and he's created all of us, and he's got this one message, and it's brought Jesus, although Jesus is the most famous person in history, so that would make a lot of sense, and he puts it in the Bible, which happens to be the most well-known book in the world and best-selling book in the world, and it has always been that way, even today. Well, that makes sense too, but why does he kind of leave it to us that we're the messengers? It's kind of scary. 
You know, why? It's so important. The stakes are so high. Why does he leave that to you and me, to every Christian, that we would share our faith with somebody else? Well, because he's giving us a way to store up treasure in heaven. So every time we invite someone, every time we serve, every time we we volunteer for something that has kind of Jesus' name on it or is a funnel to point people to church, which will point them to God, you know, there's, there's a reason. How you live your life shows who you serve. What you do on Sundays shows who you serve. And your kids see that. Where you put your money, where you put it, it shows who you serve. God gives us opportunities to lay up permanent treasures in heaven. Every time we obey him, every time we sacrifice for him, every time you give, every time you serve, everything you do specifically for Jesus, he's giving you an opportunity to store up treasure in heaven. You know, Jesus was a genius. He could take a concept and and lay it out in the most simple, profound ways. Here's basically what he's saying. He's saying, hey, I know that you're wired up to pursue things of value. He basically just tells us two things. He says, hey, make sure that you put your efforts into what will last, not what will disappear. And then he says, and put it in a place that you're going, not a place that you're leaving. How simple is that? We just, we just need to know that. Let's stand for prayer. Father God in heaven, we, we thank you for your goodness. And Lord, you've, you've dropped all of us into the most prosperous country in history. And we're living that out right now. And probably almost all of us either are now or will be in the top 1% wage earners in the world. But, but we don't feel like we're rich. Because our, our perspective has been warped. Father, help us all, because we all struggle with this, help us all to see more clearly. And help us all with how we use money, where we put money, how we spend money, that it would show that we have one master, and that master is you and nothing else. And God, we thank you for allowing us to have everything that we have and God, help us to honor you by giving back what's rightfully yours. God, thank you for every person here, Lord. And as we try to just share God's love with people, Lord, your love and what Jesus has done for us, that people would be impacted by that. Lord, help us to let people know that we don't want anything from them. We want something for them, a relationship with you forever based on faith in Jesus as the only way and what 
he has accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary and that he died for our sins. Keep that first. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, have a great day. Thanks for being here. Hey, next Sunday, great series. Uh, We're starting the hard sayings of Jesus. You won't want to miss it. See you then.